three, two, one. You ready? You're listening to the Real Pineapple Podcast Network. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, theys and gays. This is The Real Pineapple. This is your humble host, Hunter, here. Thank you so much for listening whenever you're checking this out. Um, I am honored and privileged to have uh, editor, uh, writer, director, uh, Jamie Boyle here with me uh, to talk about her latest project, uh, Anonymous Sister. Uh, Jamie, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So we'll start off with an easy question. Uh, how, how's your How's your week going so far? <laughs> that is that should be an easy one. Uh, it's going well. We're getting ready for the theatrical premiere of Anonymous Sister next week, so it's it's busy, but uh, but it's good. How's yours? Uh, it's pretty good. Um, I, I I will I I won't lie. I watched this last night, and I. <laughs> I had to pump some Bob's Burgers afterwards because I was like, wow, I'm really sad. I need to laugh, <laughs> laugh a little bit. And and I mean that as a compliment because it, this really gave me a lot to think about. And before I get into Anonymous Sister, um, I haven't had a chance to see this, but I, I, I wanted to talk to you about Jackson because I, I, I think um, given the state of what certain people wink wink are doing in terms of in terms of uh, abortion care I, I was really fascinated to read everything that was laid out about Jackson so how do I how do I want to phrase this being a woman in this space you're you're already you're already in a tough position because people are going to try to be assholes and undercut your work regardless so, and that's before you even go ahead and you take on a controversial topic. So I guess my question would be to start off with what led, what were the circumstances that led to you taking on um, the, the film of Jackson and like, what was some, were some of the things that came out of that experience for you? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I, I love that film. Um, I love everyone you know, in it, uh, who participated and it's like, I'm a little like homesick for it because you kind of stop these projects and you have to move on. Um, but, uh, but the issue is so important and continues to be more important every day. So, um, I'm really happy to talk about it. It is available on HBO max. If, uh, if anybody wants to watch it is actually the clinic that we followed is, um, was at the center of the Supreme court case. So it was the clinic, um, that, you know, uh, the the case against it over through Roe. Uh, so it, there, Mississippi now has no abortion clinics. Uh, at the time we made the film, it was the last one. Right before that, I had been editing Human Rights Watch for a while. And the feature I was on before that was called E-Team about a group of emergencies workers who goes into conflict zones, uh, basically when everyone else has left and does reporting um, on human rights atrocities. So, you know, the director, the team that was making Jackson at the time came to me uh, through a colleague at Human Rights Watch. And I remember I watched probably an hour of footage and felt like this was the 
the greatest opportunity of my very, you know, short life up to that point. I think I was only 24, 25. Um, I couldn't really believe that it fell in my lap and that I was being given that opportunity, but I basically spent the next two and a half years trying not to waste it. And what started as what was going to be, I think, eight months of editing, um, we ended up splitting from the rest of the team and it was just the director and I, and we kept filming for a couple years, editing for a couple years. Um, The case in that film ended up being appealed and a couple other things happened that basically let us know that we needed to keep keep filming um what was going on there our our main character um had another unplanned pregnancy that she wasn't prepared for and um so we we made we made the decision to continue filming and that was one of those documentaries that it was really hard to know when to stop because it just kept getting more and more enraging and and more and more um critical all the time if that's even possible I, right when you think it can't get more critical it somehow does and you don't how do you stop filming but at the same time I think when we started to realize we were starting to tell the same story again and we could kind of you know make that point at the end but then not actually repeat it um, that's when we knew okay let's stop and release this because at this time people need to see it like this yeah. is people need to actually see what's happening here when these rights are restricted and what that reality looks like which is kept from so much of the population um it's a very grim reality and so yeah so then releasing it felt like uh the important part but that was um yeah that is definitely one of the things i'm most proudest of um in my career getting getting to work on that and tell the stories of the women the women there when it comes to something like this and 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 i i I bring it up because uh, my partner and I have conversations about this all the time and, you know, with my friends and what have you. And it just feels like hopeless is a little strong, but it just kind of feels like you kind of throw your hands up at a point. You're just like, like, what the hell is happening? Like, I, I think that in this country, we've gotten in this very dangerous space of this could never and so when I see when I see a documentary like this, I go, actually, this is why documentaries like this exist because they're very caution. It's a very cautionary tale of we need to not take these things for granted. How do you go about using your platform as far as being a filmmaker to go ahead and kind of inform those who might be on the fence versus those who might be just kind of disenfranchised and just kind of tired. Yeah, I mean, I guess I I try to use the skill set at my disposal, and that's primarily editing. I mean, I obviously direct, and I love to direct, but um, I really, I think my passion just lies in the edit room, and I think one of the things I really try to do is is reach people um, in my editing that maybe wouldn't normally be reached, or that have just like you said, grown a little hopeless or disillusioned and there's always a really fine balance in I think my films or the films that you know hopefully um hit people the hardest of like this this, I'm not going to tie this up neatly for you at the end because it's not neat and that would be doing it a disservice and also giving people enough to hold on to and enough hope um often I found that those are in the individual certain individuals and you know Shannon and Jackson the director of the clinic um she gives me hope and gives thousands hope every single day. Um, she is just 
not going to stop at anything. It shouldn't be up to her though. And, you know, she shouldn't have to take that on, but she does. And she certainly gives me hope. And I know through that film, she's given millions hope. Um, and, you know, similar with Dr. Kaladny and anonymous sister, these people who kind of just take these issues and say, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put this on my back and take it as far as I can. And I think they do so much to inspire their communities and inspire change. Um, I have hope in them. And, you know, in terms of issues like reproductive rights, or, you know, opioids, <laughs> um, you know, I, I have hope in that, when it comes down to it, most people in this country agree about, um, you know, a woman's right to choose. And, and, you know, I think our systems are very broken and very flawed. And I don't think yes. any of the incentives are in any of the right places. Um, and so I do have, I have hope in people. I, I don't have hope in systems. <laughs> that's, that's a really good way to put it. Cause I mean, I, I will say myself, I, I um, it, <sighs> How do I put this? It bothers me that abortion rights are even an issue because I feel like it should be such a non-issue. Like as a guy, I will simply say, like, I think a woman should obviously have uh, the right to choose, but I'm always quick to go like, this isn't my issue, but I'll speak on it. And I think that's where my confusion comes in because you have men in prominent positions who in no way, shape or form should be making these goddamn decisions. And yet they're the ones who are. And then that's where my brain just goes into this, like almost this loop of like, this doesn't make sense. Cause I, I try to think, I, I try to think intelligently and just shit like that is where I just go. This doesn't make sense to me. And then I get upset all over. <laughs> so oh yeah. No, it's deeply upsetting. I remember the director of that clinic told me, um, when you see it, you'll know who I'm talking about if you watch, but, um, you know, everybody on the other side of the fence, and she was referring to the anti-abortion activists and protesters, um, she said has been in this clinic at one point, um, either with a family member, a friend, um, they often ask if they can come in the back door. And, mm. um, you know, I, so, and they do that for them. They respect the the wishes of all their patients but um and you know they would never call them out in the street or in a film uh but i will <laughs> and, um <laughs> i have no shame in that and yeah so it's, it's, it's horribly infuriating uh and it's not it's not about what they say it's about i think that's just the most important thing to remember in in those issues before we move on here, um, I, I guess what I would ask um, in that in that space, in terms of being an ally, like what would you like? What advice would you give people who are like, look, I want to help, I want to be a voice, I don't know really where the hell to start. Like, what can I do, you know, to go ahead and and, and be supportive to the you know the women in my life? The like, how can I be supportive in this space on this issue? Mm. Gosh, that's such a good question. I feel like that it can take so many different um, forms, but you know what you're doing and having these conversations and uh, you know listening to women of color and putting them first and their voices first, um, following their lead. They are also like they're they have formed the groups that are on the front lines that are helping women every single day that are actually doing hard work all day, every day to try to cobble together resources to help people. And um, you'll find places to help for sure if you seek them out. 
And the other thing is, yeah, I think just keep talking about it. Try not try to find ways not to lose hope, uh, not to give into helplessness. And, you know, when you do know that that's a normal sane reaction, but, uh, but also, yeah, try to try to keep it alive because, um, that's kind of, that's kind of all we have. Uh, yeah. And I think, you know, getting money and, um, special interests out of our government would be probably step one, um, in terms of, because it's similar to pharmaceuticals, when you come up against that kind of lobbying power, similar to guns, pharmaceuticals, it was the same way for a time with tobacco. Um, you know, pro-life has a lot of political power and combating that is, is a, a huge first step. Well said. Um, so now moving on to a little wider subject, let's talk about opioids. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so I watched this as I mentioned last night and I just, after I finished it, I was like, wow, I, I felt like I just get, I got kicked in the stomach really hard. And I was like, I need to just go sit down for a little bit. Um, it felt a little inappropriate to, to smoke weed while I was watching it. <laughs> so I didn't do that. But uh, the, the irony of the That's little That's not inappropriate. Um, but um, so actually, I'll start there. So as a as as a uh, frequent cannabis user, um, so I'll get a little into my backstory here. I uh, lost a parent when I was a teenager, and I was originally uh, recommended by my doctor to go ahead and be put on antidepressants. I took them for about six months really hated the way I felt when I was on them. I felt like I was watching myself. And so I was like, okay, I need to stop taking these. So I haven't taken any, anything since marijuana ended up becoming what I ended up, uh, when I ended up kind of subbing in for it. And cause I also have insomnia, which is a whole other thing. Um, while watching this movie, I think what just broke my heart the most is the, the true sincerity of people who wanted help were taken advantage of by the system and what i love about how you portray this is that as the film goes on the threat grows like you realize how big of a machine not just the opioid crisis is in itself but the whole pharmaceutical game in general is and and then i i what i found what i love about this is after I, I finished watching it and I was able to digest it a little bit. It kind of makes your brain start firing as far as, oh, if I'm taking this, what could I possibly sub in that would be less dangerous for me? And I and I, I think that's going to be something that a lot of people take away from this. When you started to just overall undertake this, like, what were the kind of the steps? Because this is a massive undertaking that you did and just under 90, like at a 90 minute you know, Mark, but there's so much information on this. So, I mean, how did you kind of just even begin to lay out how you want to present this? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. It it was a massive undertaking. And I think anybody who's covered this subject uh, has found that it's, it's been going on so long now, 30 years. And, um, and then the seeds of it were being sown before that. And every turning point is so important. So it was really hard to know how much to include and how much we could leave out. But what I, how I started was basically I came across the work of Dr. Andrew Kolodny, who's 
a nationally recognized expert in this sphere. He's the he founded an organization called Physicians for Responsible Opioid Prescribing, and he has basically been beating the drum since the early 2000s. Um, he was formerly a part of the New York City Health Department tasked with bringing bringing down heroin uh, overdose rates in Harlem, and he started seeing opioids. Um, he started seeing prescription opioids. And so he's he's been aware of this problem for a long time. And he gives talks all over the country um, and globally, actually, about the, the misinformation spewed by Purdue Pharma and other pharmaceutical companies, their infiltration of the FDA and all of our oversight committees um, and getting Oxycontin approved and then in thwarting responsibility every time somebody um, rang the alarm. He So he basically lays out this very impactful presentation. And I had just gotten my home movies on VHS from my family. And um, he was basically laying out, you know, the ads in 1996 and then the congressional hearings and the uptick in 2001. And I started just putting my family's home movies of that same year back to back with the archival that was happening. And I kind of did a chronological timeline. I wanted to see like, what were we doing when this was happening? And it just felt like this kind of storm cloud brewing that was like deciding all of our fates, which I think is how a lot of these systemic issues feel. And then all of a sudden there comes this moment where they they hit, right? And yeah. um, they often hit when people are at their most vulnerable. So that was how I started to kind of begin to untangle that. And then I would say I relied on the reporting and the writing of, they were like, starting in about 2015, 2016, there was a handful of books that came out that were everything for me because they explain in numbers and, and in, um, sorry, in so many ways, what I had watched and didn't realize I was watching or realized part of it, but didn't didn't know what was happening. Like, uh, like I'm reading Beth Macy's follow up to dope sick and it's called raising Lazarus. And last night I just read that um, they're basically had these all hands on deck day at Purdue. If a famous person who was using oxy died. Um, so one was Michael Jackson and the summer before my sister and mom got off opioids was when Michael Jackson died. And I remember that was part of me going to their doctors and being terrified and I remember both of their doctors saying, we're so sick of people coming in afraid about Michael Jackson. And they had all these talking points wow. about how they were different. This wasn't the same. It's, it's like the memory is so vivid in my mind. I was reading this just last night with my jaw on the floor. That was something I still didn't know. I mean, you know, you have a feeling, but they would pour resources into these all hands on deck days when that happened to give talking points and to basically fight the the information that would come out at that time um, and the negative repercussions for their, for their drugs. And um, so it was, it was reporting like that, that I, uh, that I used constantly in making this film and figuring out where to look and which pieces to, to pull out and to bring, bring to the forefront. Yeah. I, as I was watching this, um, and, and I and I I I got a I don't have a cap a, a cap, but if I did, I would be tipping it to you because to 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 go ahead and reveal so much of yourself in this, and to go ahead and put I mean, it's not an easy thing to put yourself on front street anyway, let alone 
in the manner that you're doing through these documentaries. And I, and I love the way that everything, um, it's a subtle thing, but I love the way you transition between years. I, I thought it was very seamless and I, and I, and I really liked the narrative that you were telling through these home videos. It really felt more personal and it felt very raw in that sense. Oh, thank um, you. was there, were there, was, as you're putting this together, were there any parts that you kind of went, was there any hesitation on any of the moments as far as watching these videos back where you went, maybe this shouldn't be in here? Like, was there any kind of like knee-jerk reaction that way? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I can't tell you the number of nights I would be like, I don't think I should be doing this. I just didn't, I, yeah, it was just a knee-jerk gut. Like these are my family's home movies and I'm putting them on this, um, you know, platform this ambiguous platform you never know where films are gonna land um, <laughs> yeah. and it just felt I just felt so exposed and worse than feeling exposed which I can deal with I think people in general like don't mind that if they feel like if it's for the right reason but when you're doing it on behalf of other people which yes. I kind of do for a living as a documentarian so it was both like a real challenge and also a good gut check in terms of what I do for a living, like what I'm actually asking of people who share their stories. Yeah. And now it's my family. So it feels a lot different, but that's how I should think of everybody whose story I have the privilege of telling. So I think it's made me better at what I do and more sensitive and probably more just, uh, you know, respectful. How could you not be after you put, you know, the people you love most up there and their greatest vulnerabilities that's just going to make you appreciate uh, what that entails all the more. Um, but yeah, I, I had a ton of days like that. And I would check in with my family members constantly. Are you sure? Are you sure? You know, you want to be doing this and they weren't always fine with it. But at the same time, do they really understand? Like they can't see what I see in the edit room or feel what I feel. So they're just trusting me. And that's a lot of trust and a lot of responsibility. So yeah, I'd totally be lying if I said there was not days like that. Um, and at the end of the day, I just had to move forward. And I think all of us really feel like, I mean, maybe it's a bit of survivor's guilt, but just, you know, we are all still here and we don't hide that in the film. So I'm not giving anything away, but um, when so many aren't and, and a lot, of, and also there's so many people who aren't at a place where they could tell their story or they'd have this opportunity or this privilege or the resources, or the access to information. So it was like all of those things together just felt like, I think for all of us, and I kept checking in with them, like this is something we can do and we wanna do and we can offer. And it was also just, you know, for a lot of people who say all the counter narratives that we hear about addiction um, and the stigma and also how the, you know, how these, how it was funded and, and propagated by Big Pharma, um, two family, two people, two members of the same family was such a perfect case study of, it was so, it was such searing, damning evidence, the way they both became addicted, how it unfolded, how it was through legitimate prescriptions through their doctors and how every time they tried to get help, it was, um, you know, they were fought tooth and nail. So it was just like, it, it felt like two, um, yeah, too too crazy of a of a story to not um, to not kind of give it give it a voice. 
Yeah. Uh, especially when we're looking, you know, we're in the middle of these lawsuits where people are trying to hold them accountable. If all these people who have lost loved ones and feel so helpless and it's like, this is something we can do and it's not, you know, yeah, it's our home movies, but that's okay. It's not, it's not much. It's not our lives. These, the statistics that you share, and I, I won't go through all of them. Um, one of the things that flat out made me roll my eyes and go, oh, what the is uh, when they were saying uh, the, the pharma was saying that less than 1% of patients become, that's the, when I, I actually had to pause the documentary rewind. I was like, okay, there's no way that that was actually said in public and pushed through. And I'm like, oh my God, they actually said, and, and, and to date myself a little bit because, because uh, old man over here, um, I remember the whole dare program I went through as a kid. And oh, going, yeah. You know, and the whole, like, don't do drugs, kids. Like, you know, and especially when it came to marijuana being, you know, the the lie of it's a gateway drug and it'll lead you doing all these other things. And as I'm sitting here watching this and going, you won't admit how bad this is and how dangerous this is. And, and just being flabbergasted is really the word that kept coming to mind as I kept watching this because the way that pharma was just kind of look and shrug and go, oh, I can't believe people got addicted. It's like, but, but you, like, duh. <laughs> and having to. Oh, yeah. And so I'm watching this, just, and my brain is melting. So as I'm, so I felt sympathetic for you because as you're putting this together, I just can't even imagine how you're just, how you were just coping with putting this all together while putting you know, your family out there. I mean, was, was it hard to, I don't want to phrase this. Was it hard to find that balance? Because I think you come across very objective. I I, I want to make that clear. Um, I, um, Which is really hard given the subject matter, because I don't think I could be that objective. I was just really pissed off watching this, but, but was there, was it kind of a balancing act as far as like telling your family story, but not making them look bad, but being honest about it and still balancing that pharma aspect to this? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's rage inducing. Like I would have so many moments where I was just furious. And there was actually a cut where I packed so much information into it that is very damning that (laughs) actually some really uh, we had some really great feedback from a couple big festivals and uh, people we really trust that were like, um, yeah, we'll get the information other places. We don't need it all here. I want to hear about the family. And I think I had split the screen time like 50 50. And they were like, no, this should be like 80 20. Like you should use the facts that you have that you absolutely have to to underscore what you're going, what they're going through, what you're all going through, and then get back into their experience. So I think letting that advice and letting their experiences speak for themselves, that's what led us to, if you felt it was objective, that is why. And that's such a compliment because I'm certainly not objective on this issue, (laughs) but I think (laughs) I've realized through Jackson and other films on this topic um, and and other topics, you know, um, I did a film that I'm really proud of, a short that I had the honor of editing. I didn't direct it, but called Trans in America, Texas Strong. And it was about a little girl in Texas. um, And her mom had been, uh, was really honest about the fact that she had been um, 
a really religious uh, kind of tea partier uh, until her daughter came out as trans and then her daughter really changed her views. But um, we realized how many people, because they felt welcomed into that conversation instead of like immediately ostracized from the like evangelical community, Mm. they felt like they could watch it. And we just got pouring in emails of how many people's minds were changed because they felt like not judged immediately. So I think in kind of the motivation for trying to make it as objective as possible and just make it about their experiences was like, okay, somebody who is really ready to immediately turn off to this, either because they rely on opioids, they're addicted themselves, they have family members, they're a doctor who doesn't want to stop prescribing them or is worried about stopping prescribing them. How am I going to get those people to come around or to see or to understand what I understand, having lived it, having watched it, just, you know, rip the life out of the the two other women in your family. I have to just show that like, I have to just show it happening and how it happened and let them be honest about their experiences and speak every detail they want to about it and give that as much screen time as possible. And then, you know, the, the kind of the curse that turned into a blessing was that we only had a limited amount of footage of that actual time when they're in the, the deepest, darkest throes of substance use. And um, what we kind of had to lean into was these more experimental approaches to really we called it like the experiential moments where, you know, she feels high for the first time or she feels the euphoric effects or they're in rehab and they're feeling the withdrawals. And so we had to actually get really creative with filmmaking techniques that I think turned into being one of our greatest assets because people who have lived with a lot of this have said it feels so accurate. And so that feels nice. And I think anytime you can do that, you're going to be, objective because you're just talking about somebody's experience you're not doing much more than that is that trans film streaming anywhere by the way yeah it's um so them uh the website them period uh published it and it's on youtube now it links to youtube but um, they have some great features on it too um okay i'm gonna check I can that get out you the links though yeah, yeah that, that would yeah, be amazing because because as someone who grew up in the church that's been um something i've been very like been a drum i've been beating for a while and um as someone who also lived in texas that's also <laughs> it's been a that's it's a whole other the whole other thing um but oh yeah yeah, yeah but I, I would love to definitely watch that. they have an incredible story and their her mom you know still considers herself an avid christian and they're doing really amazing work to try to get the church to come around um on that and a lot of other issues so they're just a, a really cool group um of people okay i'm gonna i'm gonna have to check that out yeah. um couple more questions for you um while you're making this documentary and you're putting it together and you're editing because i mean you edited directed you know you you really did everything on this was there any moment as you're putting this together that you found triggering maybe something that you didn't recall like initially but as you watched it back you went oh crap was there any moment like that as you're putting this together Actually, it's funny you ask that because one thing came to mind the other day. I went to film the Super 8 of the place where my sister went to rehab because um, this is a giveaway, but I actually wasn't filming that night, uh, which I think you can tell in the film. Um, I think that would have been a little 
insensitive uh, but yeah, yeah. of my sister. But um, she, anyway, I went back by myself uh, when I had a flight to catch to film that Super 8. And I filmed myself on my cell phone going back, thinking I might use it in the film. Um, I did not use it in the film. It was not good. But I had such an emotional reaction. I had no, I, I, I've had panic attacks since that time, which I reveal in the film, but this was like the closest thing I think I've ever experienced to what, uh, you know, people who come back from, from conflict zones and stuff describe as PTSD, where it just like shoots up out of nowhere. You yeah. really don't know where it comes from. This all encompassing emotion, all of a sudden you're sobbing and shaking and it was like this beautiful blue sky day and, you know, outside Denver and Parker, Colorado. And, you know, I was ready to catch a flight. I felt totally fine going there. And the second I saw the sign, the parking lot, that it was just, I was completely right back in that moment of dropping her off. And, you know, everybody was so, everybody's still ill-equipped rehab centers. I, I, you know, those people are angels, but they, really are ill-equipped to handle what they're dealing with, with these kind of medications. And we barely even knew the term opioid. People had never seen this before. And you're just handing her over. There's no doctors there. They There's, you know, hardly any healthcare. There's really just beds. It's an old school rehab place. And um, there's like, here you go. And you're handing them your loved one and who you're monitoring around the clock just to make sure she wakes up. It's absolutely terrifying and at the same time you're so lucky if you even get to that step and and privileged so it's just but like that you're on such fragile footing their life is so uh so fragile at that point that it's just it's one of the most yeah traumatizing experiences I've ever had personally and then it was also the place where I I saw I felt like I saw her again because she walked out those doors about six days later and it, it feels like somebody getting up and walking out of a grave. Like I hadn't seen uh -huh. her in years. I had said goodbye to her. I had basically, I, I had missed her for years and she was there again. So I probably should have known that going back to that place would elicit all of that. But, uh, you know, I just, I needed the B-roll and I thought, uh, you know, no big deal. I'll go get it. I was more concerned that I had enough, you know, enough reels of film and batteries in my Super 8 and stuff. And, yeah, so that that was a that was a big one and and there were a lot like that. You know, the film I started filming again because my sister was pregnant with her first child and that was going to really be the first time she really interacted with the medical community since getting off opioids in a real way. She's really avoided doctors and hospitals. Um and that was really scary. Her pregnancy was high risk. There was a lot of talk of surgeries and C-sections and we all knew that um you know, what came after that would be offerings of opioids. And um, yeah, so so a lot of times in making this film, I felt thrown back into those places from, you know, 15 years prior. And you really, you realize like what everybody says, which is like, this is a, this is a thing that they will have for life that they combat every single day, all day. While I'm off living my life, this is something they deal with all the time. And, you know, but, you know, to show that too and combat the idea that like people with substance use disorder have no willpower or, you know, strength yeah, or blah, blah, blah. It's definitely like, stigma with that. Yeah. These are the two strongest people I can ever imagine knowing with the most willpower I've ever seen. So, um, 
yeah, so all that felt important to show, but it was it was hard to show. So I got got a couple more for you. As far as your family now, do you feel like this film did it bring you closer? Do you feel more? Do, do you feel maybe at peace with what you went through as an observer with all this happening? Like, how does this film kind of change the family dynamic after, like, as you're going through press and everything for this? Yeah, I mean, I feel like my answers are kind of long because also no, no, no. talking about fam family, they just tend to be, you know, it's, I think with family, it's like any relationship, but heightened by so much. So you have all these years behind you and all these traumas and all these joys, and it all kind of becomes all tangled within each other. It's like, how do you even extricate what was a healthy thing versus a unhealthy thing? So for instance, like, their addictions brought did bring us closer together in a lot of ways um but they were they were you know awful but as we know like trauma can bring people closer together so you know the making of this film i think and there was a time in which i got a little more into the filmmaking in a in a certain edit of this film where i kind of started to untangle filming as my own form of addiction and my own kind of vice and did I know when to put down the camera did I know mm. when to let it go uh because I was using it as my coping mechanism and you know for my older sister I think one thing I didn't realize till after was you know she's always kind of just you know I'm her little sister so she dictates things I'm always kind of annoying her that's our dynamic <laughs> yeah. uh you know I'm like the fly on her shoulder understanding that when I had a camera in my hand, um, I had a level of like power over her that she didn't have, even though she's my older sister, mm -hmm. that was the dynamic that I wish I would have understood going in. Like, it doesn't matter what your dynamic was before. Now, you now have a camera in your hand and it doesn't matter if you think you're annoying her or if you think, you know, she doesn't want you to film, which there weren't many of those, but, um, yeah, I guess I just wish I understood a little more how that would shift our dynamic and and what I was asking of her. I think, you know, she I think she was fine. I think she's fine with everything. Um, but it's kind of like therapy. It's like any form of healing. Like there was a lot of trauma that came up that none of us had really talked about or looked at. And I think it needed to come up in a lot of ways, but but it the process was painful and it still continues to be painful when stuff comes up that maybe we've tucked away or haven't looked at. And I think going back to that time and other times that brings a lot to the surface for all of us. And I guess in terms of just like the field of documentary, you know, I'm a big advocate now for uh, mental health counseling all the way throughout the process for the participants, especially um, that's not something we did. Nobody really did that. So at the time now I think we know better um yeah. and yeah so yeah I think it brought us closer in a lot of ways and I think it allowed us this place to untangle some of this but at the same time like the camera can be distancing and this whole process can be can be hard and can be very yeah exposing and um so how can I, I can't really say for everybody what that means I think overall they all tell me it's positive, but, um, yeah, I, I have my, I mean, I don't have my doubts. I shouldn't say that, but you know, when you put people 
through something like that. Um, yeah, it's, I think that just, it's a, it's a complicated answer. And I will say too, the greatest gift has been, you know, just the outpouring of love and support from everybody who's seen it and who, and I think like that just even my mom, who's like a very private person and she's not in a 12 step program. I think like the support she's received has been really, really incredible. Even her neighbors and staff who have watched the film have like written her letters and, oh, you know, gone to her door. Yeah, it's really cool. And then she's never had that because she doesn't really have a, you know, a community of people in recovery or who know her story. So yeah, really, really amazing in that regard that, that, that the film could offer, offer them that. I think like we all, they all kind of tend to be pretty private. So that it's the exposure that I think is like a little bit more than anybody bargains for, but, but the reception has just been so wonderful from everyone. That that's I'm really happy that that good came out of this. Um, okay, I promise you more questions. I promise. I promise. Um, for you as a filmmaker, what's the like talking about this being so personal to you? Obviously, in the subject matter, as far as the actual subject itself, what's the biggest takeaway for you as a director, as an editor, that you're going to be able to take away from this experience, and that's going to that you're going to go ahead and carry forward to like your future projects. Mm. Great question. Um, I think mostly that people want to connect with each other and the more you can lean into that in your filmmaking, like the, it was just, I was always being pushed to lean into that more and more and more just offering, not offering more, you know, in terms of, of salaciousness or anything like that, but just more points of connection um, the more people just welcomed it with open arms, um, the more, you know, the things that people are most insecure about or they judge themselves the most for, those are the ones that change other people's lives when, you know, they're shared. And so as a director, I think encouraging that of people to the, you know, to the point they're comfortable with, I think is something that I'll continue to do. Um, you know, for instance, I, and I can list the other edits I've done, um, the people's favorite parts are the ones that, uh, you know, sometimes the participant was most nervous about and it ends up being everybody's, you know, the, the thing that, that clicks with everybody or that hooks everybody. So that, um, that's a big one. And just leaning into, you know, trusting yourself. There were so many times I was so unsure of myself, um, in the director's chair of my first feature. And um, yeah, I, I look back now and I tell other first time directors, like all of those out of the box ideas that you're not sure about, like lean all the way into them, dedicate the resources, do them because they're the things that make your film unique and singular and special. And they like help you helm your own voice and kind of um, fine tune your own voice, which, you know, we probably, I'll never really get to the level that I have in my head, but you get closer and closer every time you try, right? So you got to start trying because it's like, it's a journey and, and you've got to start figuring it out. So uh, all those, and then, and, and take care of your team and your participants, like all the way throughout. And even if that means stopping for a year, if you have to, you know, it's worth it in the long run. Like I encourage young filmmakers all the time now, like take the time it needs because, um, you know, I hear time and time again, when people do that, it ends up beneficial for everybody. And, you know, often 
when we're not taking care of ourselves or our participants is because we're under these, you know, really tight deadlines and, um, Mm -hmm. or we're sure it has to be at a certain festival. And that is just not, that is not the way to make these kind of films. It can be really harmful to people. Uh, and you know, this isn't a Hollywood set, which can be harmful enough, but these are real people's lives. So, uh, yeah, I think it needs to be handled quite a bit different, differently than, um, then, you know, the quick uh, cutthroat, fast turnaround pace of other other film. All right. And last question for you um, for the uh, for anyone who sees this film, anyone who's lost someone um, because of this. Bullshit pyramid scheme, I'll call it what it is. Um, <laughs> what what is your message? What would your message be to them? Mm. Um, I mean, it's really hard to say for people who have lost someone because I just, I can't imagine. I mean, that was part of making this film. Like I wouldn't have been able to make it had I lost either of them. I I don't even know what kind of state I'd be in, um, or if I'd be here. So I, I have so much sympathy for those individuals and there's so many of them, um, the advice I've heard from other people who, from people who have lost loved ones, um, and I take my cues from there, is like talk about it uh, because so many people, so many more people around you are going through it than you realize. Um, you know, you could be working across from somebody, which was my experience recently, who has lost their sibling and uh, or parent or child. Um, you never know. And if I think when you open it, it's very hard to open that up, but a, you're combating the stigma associated with it. Every single time you talk about it with people, um, you're making it real and, and chances are they or someone they know very well has gone through something similar. And there's so much support in knowing somebody else, just in knowing somebody else is going through what you're going through or what you've gone through that can be life-saving. It was, the second I went into an Al-Anon meeting, it was like three weeks before um, my sister went to rehab and I was really, really hopeless and helpless. And while they were still teaching a lot of things that I think are really harmful and we've gotten past um, like tough love approaches and, yeah. um, you know, kicking kids out of the home, which, you know, just uh, to, to the benefit of give people the benefit of the doubt we just didn't know any better people are grasping they will do anything that works they just want it to work so we thought that's what would work so you know no you know no judgment there but just realizing that people were going through what I was going through with my sister and my mom was like I could get through the week like I could do it and that it can just save people. Uh, so the, the support is out there and the camaraderie is out there. Um, just seek it out. And now there's a lot of information out there. Um, so that's, you know, and I know a lot of people who are using, you know, the death of their loved one to, um, to try to, you know, um, remedy a lot of these harms that this issue has caused. And if that's you, like I'm so grateful to you. And if it's not you yet, or it's not you at all, like that's okay too. The support's still out there uh, and it takes every form. Um, so yeah, just, just reach out. That's the, that's the silver lining of social media and all the things that are going to be the downfall of democracy. Oh, you can find people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can find your people at least. 
Um, Jamie, thank you so much for making this time uh, to talk to me. I, I really appreciate it. Um, before I let you get out of here, can you please share where people can find the film? Um, if people can find you on social media, all that fun stuff. Yeah, I should have been ready with my social media accounts, but uh, the film website is anonymoussister.com. It has all our social handles on there. So you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We also partner with really amazing organizations and we're constantly promoting their work, uh, both national and local. So we're trying to really get together a hub of local resources uh, for people across the country. The film will be opening at IFC Center in New York, uh, June 2nd, and it's running through the 8th. We have a ton of special panels and resource handouts and Narcan training planned and all kinds of things. So please come out. It will be at Lomley Monica in LA, June 16th through the 22nd, and at the C Film Center in Denver, June 20th. And we're planning more cities now. So if you go to our website, you can see that and you can find me on social media um under various handles that are also on the website but yeah i would love love for anybody to reach out i love talking to people about this i get so much um so much out of it too and yeah thank you for having me uh this uh this was a an awesome conversation and i really appreciate it anytime jamie again thank you so much for making the time um i will definitely tag you when i share my my review of this um Seriously, all the luck on sharing this. Thank you so much for being so brave to use your voice on so many different controversial topics. I, I, again, a tip of the cap to you for that. Thank you so much for making this film. And and uh, I, I really hope the press goes well. Thanks again. Thank you so much. All right, Jamie, you take care. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>